and welcome to another epic themed edition of Life of Die. I'm your regular host Gordon and as always I'm joined by my fellow epic fanatic Craig. Hi Craig, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. Good stuff. And in this latest and long delayed episode, apologies to all epic fans for that, we're now going to be looking at the Tyranids. It's been put off for too long, we must talk about them. So I say we're going to talk about them, but I actually mean Craig's going to talk about them because I'm putting my feet up in this one. <laughs> yep. Before we get into it, just my usual disclaimer that these are going to be Craig's favourite second edition 2k to 5k army lists. But I think in this occasion, because the, the turnings are fairly short, you might actually be covering most, if not all, units. So without further ado, I'll hand over to you, Craig. I believe you've got some notes to say about the turnings before we actually get into the meat and drink of the armies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just a few. Uh, they're they're quite a quite a unique race. So yeah, the turnings were released in second edition at the end of 1995. So they were really one of the last um, releases for second edition. And as such, I think a lot of people probably missed out on them, um, ourselves included, I think, at the time. They were released as a kind of standalone um, supplement called Hive War, written by Annie Chambers. And it's it's quite a kind of thick tome compared to the other releases like Armies of the Imperium and Orc and Squat Warlords and uh, Renegades. It's kind of dedicated just to the Tyranids. It's full colour. It's got a lot of narrative in it, a lot of history of the Tyranids and stuff like that. So it's quite a kind of cool kind of product in itself. But also a lot of it's dedicated to obviously the Tyranid rules, which are by far and away the most kind of unique of all the factions in second edition epic. They've got lots of kind of unique characteristics that almost everything's kind of slightly skewed compared to what you'd normally expect to find with an epic army. So, um, yeah, they're, they're really interesting. It's kind of a bit of a shame that they came along so late that probably a lot of people didn't get to see them or, or play them, but it's just uh, the way it is, I guess. Yeah. It was uh, teenage years were the problem, really, for me. I'd, yeah. When I got into the epic, I was in my kind of early teens, and by the time the uh, Tyranid set came out, it was, yeah, it was that point I was clubbing, and that <laughs> was the reason I, I was missing out, and I was kind of yeah, doing the social thing, kind of late teens, and going to gigs and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was a, it was a shame that I missed out on that. No, fair enough. I mean, it, yeah, it's quite cool. I mean, they came out, obviously, prior to things like uh, Starship Troopers and uh, being released, so it was like a I think they could probably could have ridden that wave and, and gained a bit more popularity if, if we were around at that time. But, you know, just uh, ships in the night, I guess, as in the Tyranids. <laughs> Are you well now? <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. So we've got a second chance at it. <laughs> but, yeah, they're quite interesting because at the time in the 40k universe, there was only really things like there was Tyranid Warriors, there was the Carnifexes or the Screamer Killers, as they're called at the time. Uh, Hunter Slayers, which are now Hormigants, uh, Termigants, sorry. And there was the Gene Stealers as well, which are the kind of standalone thing in their own right, and they're only kind of later that was actually revealed that they're part of this uh, Turned Hive mind. And then a few odds yeah. and sods like Zotes and, and, and those kind of things which haven't made it into Epic. But it was really just, uh, sorry, what were you Yeah, I was going to say the, the Gene Stealers were probably the first thing that I was familiar with, but that was through Space Hulk. Yes. Yeah. And then I actually, the, the first time I became aware of the Tyranids, and I don't know if it was a first appearance or not, but it was uh, Advanced Space Crusade we'd got. Yeah, because we had Space Hulk and we just thought, well, that'd be quite cool. Could we just bolt on the corridor sections? And they did actually that. <laughs> anyway, back to Epic. All, all, all I would say to follow up is that a lot of the stuff that, that eventually became 40k canon was actually first introduced in, in Epic Space Marine. It was, it was quite, it was obviously at the same time, more or less. I think in 1995 was a big year for the Tyranids um, in both scales. So things like the High Tyrants and the Lictors and the Biovores and all these other units we're going to talk about later, they all came in. I think they were released in Epic first and then a few months later they came out in the 40k scale. So yeah, it's quite, quite an interesting one. It's rare to see that preceding them, but here we are. So 
again, like I've said it already a few times, are very unique. So the way Force is organised, it still uses cards to organise the Force, but it's almost like a kind of meta game in itself, organising your Force because each of your swarms is built around this central character, this dominatrix, which is maybe unfortunately named for uh, for the algorithm and the YouTube listening <laughs> <laughs> stuff. But uh, we might get flagged for that. But yeah, so it's it's all built around this dominatrix, which is effectively the kind of hive queen or the queen bee of the swarm, and everything branches off of that. And then you use these other synapse characters like the turned warriors and the the hive tyrants to then expand your swarm out of the way um, and everything has to be interlinked and, and joined up via these arrows and if you can't physically fit the card in off one of the arrows it, it won't fit into your force so it's a wee bit of a game in itself building a force which is quite cool because I think that's I think some people probably just live by building lists and building armies so it's almost like a, a little way to play the game without playing the game as I think <laughs> Yeah, yeah, God, my last few months, I think probably the last 25 years, <laughs> occasionally bringing out the cards and, and laying them all out. But yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one and it does have effects on the game. So actually, even looking through the lists I've built tonight, I've already realised I've not optimised it fully. So there's probably a wee disclaimer to put in there before I start talking about the lists there as well. But yeah, effectively, you want everything building off. You, you have to have everything building off this dominatrix, and then anything beyond that needs to be built off of these other synapse creatures to maintain this kind of hive mind, and that comes into play later on as well. The dominatrixes themselves, again, it's it's a kind of limiting factor, but that is the core building block of all your swarms. You have to have one, and then for lists over 3,000 points, you can have two. For lists over 6,000 points, you can have three. For lists over 9,000 points, you, have, you can have four, and... You know, you're not allowed more than the number per the points value to maintain the kind of swarm coherency, I guess, and to stop you gaming it a little bit. But I mean, they are incredibly powerful units, so you definitely want them in your force, but they're also expensive. So it means, I guess, playing small games with turnids could become an issue. The other thing is they have these kind of hive mind cards, which are kind of similar to, if you're familiar with the chaos cards or maybe the orc mechanic cards, that kind of thing. They're, they're just another card which give effects to units and you can play them at varying times depending on the blurb on them. Um, there's some particularly powerful ones, such as like the Bio Assassin, which is effectively you just pick a unit in the battlefield and force it into a round of close combat with itself as some kind of you know stomach bursters trying to pop out of it. And it can effectively, you know, change the tide of battle if you were to take out some one of the opponent's HQ units or, or something along those lines. But they also feed into the order system for the turns. So the turns have a instinctive order system similar to the way the orcs would, with um, units falling back to default orders if they're not within coherency to be given orders. With the turns, it's slightly different. That everything has these instinctive orders, which are I can go through them quickly. They are uh, Rampage, Hunt, and Nests. So Rampage is effectively charge at the nearest unit. Hunt is kind of advance towards the nearest unit and fire if possible. Um, and Nest is, is first fire at the, at the nearest unit. That's kind of the quick synopsis of them. There's a little bit more detail to them than that. But effectively, the type of unit, as indicated by its card, will tell you what its instinctive orders are. You can give orders to units if you want to specifically do something that isn't their instinctive behaviour. But to do that, you need to play these Hive cards. And Hive cards are a little bit unlike the Chaos cards. You replenish your deck every turn. Um, so you can you know, you know can play them either to use the effect of the card or to give orders to a unit. And the number of Hive cards you have is dependent on the kind of strength of the of the Swarm Hive Mind network effectively. So each card, uh, unit card you have built off of your Swarm builds up towards a number of Hive Mind cards. It's not quite one-to-one. -one. It's, you know, for the first one to five Swarms, you get three Hive Mind cards. For six to 10, you get four. For 11 to, 11 to 15, you get five. 16 to 20, you get six. Um, and 21 plus, you get seven. 
And like I say, you can discard these cards and, and draw them back up each turn in the psychic phase, which is a kind of new phase that was introduced as well, I think, at this point. So yeah, it's kind of an interesting mechanic. Again, you're constantly having to manage the amount of cards and you also have to be very careful with breaking the chain as well, because if at any point you know you lose one of these synapse creatures, you can actually disconnect part of your army from the hive and, and you lose a lot of hive mind cards that way. So I think that's it's something that we often view the Tyranids as fairly indestructible when we've looked at them purely based on the stats and things. But I think there are possibly ways to fight against them and, and one of the ways would be to try and disrupt this network and reduce their ability to issue orders and to make them effectively, you know, you, you'd know what they're going to do, which could be good for a, an opponent who's cunning. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, that's the whole hive card, hive mind structure. Like I say, multiple swarms. So when you have multiple dominatrixes, you form separate swarms. This gives you a little bit of resiliency, allows you to effectively lose one part of your swarm or one of your dominatrix without having to forfeit the game and lose your whole army. So there's definitely benefits to it, as well as just the fact that you run out of arrows quite quickly to join the cards on. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of management that goes on with that, I guess. And it's probably quite easy to forget as a turned player as well. So yeah, it's, it's a whole new system to learn effectively within the game, which is quite new to a lot of Epic players, I would imagine. The other biggest kind of difference with the Tyranids is their scoring of victory points. They don't score victory points for objectives. They've got no interest in objectives. All they want to do is devour and uh, consume biomass or whatever. <laughs> chomp, chomp, chomp. <laughs> chomp, chomp, yes. So they effectively get the victory points for breaking unit as on the back of the cards, as you'd see normally. And then they would get double the, you'd get the same points again for, for completely destroying it as well, for wiping it off the table. So it's quite an interesting one. You can still contest objectives. Or prevent, you mean? Yeah, you still you still want to prevent objectives being taken, but you can't actively take them yourself, which is quite interesting. They're also fairly immune to morale checks and stuff like that, so there's no, there's no scaring them, which is fairly understandable. Not very helpful if you're playing chaos against them, I suppose. No, it's it's one of those. Yeah, it's probably quite a hard counter to a lot of chaos stuff, and they also have a similar thing with a lot of their units that cause terror. So they, when if if they if they engage you in close combat, they'll force morale checks on the opponent, which is pretty nasty in itself. The other big defining factor of a lot of the turned units is the multiple wounds and, and regeneration factor. So I've seen it before with some of the chaos units, the the trolls, etc., which have this regeneration aspect of them. When you kill them, they're not really dead, and at the end of the turn, there's a chance that they'll come back. And the turn is even even nastier in this regard because they also have multiple wounds for a lot of units. So effectively, you don't ever kill a unit outright. You could stack up maybe ten wounds on a on a Karn effects and knock it over. But at the end of the turn, if the turn of player rolls, I think it's four, five, or six on those 10 dice and bring it back up to full strength, it will, it will survive. As long as it's got one or more wound remaining at the end of the turn, once you've done your regeneration rolls, it'll step, stand back up and carry on the fight, which is really nasty and it makes them incredibly difficult to kill. Probably very frustrating to play against. To, yeah, it has. <laughs> yeah, to, it's not focus down fire. Yeah, it's 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 horrible because obviously if you're being swarmed and you, you're focusing on one unit, you've got to make that decision of do I waste potentially more shots to try and kill this thing dead, or do I want to start picking away other units because effectively they could all just be nullified by some nasty dice rolling. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting mechanic, but I, I guess it's probably quite horrible as well. Okay, so we'll just jump on to the to the lists then. 2,000, yep. So like I say, 2,000 points doesn't get you a massive amount of Tyranids because the Dominatrix, your core, your core unit costs 500 points. So that's a big chunk of your, your army straight away. Um, but it's, it's the way it is, so um, can't really complain too much about it. 
Like I say, the, the dominatrix itself is an absolute beast. It's got four wounds and it regenerates. So it's like I was saying earlier, it's very hard to um, to bring down. It's a bit of an inconsistency in the stat line. It's got a two plus save, but in the blurb, it's got a one plus save for it. So I'm not quite sure. I checked in the epic and it's got a one plus save there. So I'm guessing that's possibly been errated somewhere, but it's worth checking out. But either way, even if it is a two plus save, it's still an absolute beast. Um, it's a command unit, so it charges and first fires all the time. Close assault factor 10. It's got a nasty bio cannon, which is a 75 centimeter range, six attack dice, five plus to hit, minus three target save modifier. Um, it's got spore cysts, which are kind of close in, effectively a point defense. Like they're, they're effectively bolters, so the, the Turnit equivalent of bolters for all these units is spore cysts, so you'll see that quite a lot on, on the units. There's also psychic powers, um, which I won't go into too much detail on, but they're fairly powerful, so a lot of the Turnit units also have psychic powers. Yeah, so it's also got a, a 2 plus psychic save and it's, it forces morale checks if it charges into combat with them. So it's it's a nasty unit. It's something you'd probably want in your force anyway. But yeah, l- looking at the kind of stat lines for most of the turned units, they all seem very powerful on specs. A lot of them have got minus two, minus three save modifiers, and the ones that don't are probably close combat units, which have got very high close assault factors. So yeah, I think there's definitely a, there's a lot of powerful units there. There are not many of them, and there's probably only, I'm not sure, 25 odd units that were ever released and it's worth saying that as well everything ever released for second edition turn is was in this supplement and was all released fairly close together nothing ever added after that so it's um it's a fairly tight faction from that regard when you compare it to things like imperials it spread across many editions and brought with them quite a lot of kind of oddities from first edition mm. it's a lot tighter than that so yeah the core you've got this dominatrix which has got six prongs coming off it and um, allowing you to add the six synapse units to then expand your force further the next synapse unit i've got there is the harridan which is a it's a flyer or floater depending what you want to call it um, interestingly it's a kind of flying super heavy tank effectively it's got a number of wounds as well uh, let me just double check it's got uh, three wounds yeah so again it's, it's probably quite hard to kill interestingly enough it can also transport a unit of gargoyles with it which are the they're the kind of assault infantry of the of the turned force a bit like the assault marines or something like that they've, they've got wings effectively which allow them to clear over cover and they can drop out from underneath this hard and as it flies along um, and engage with units in the ground so it's pretty nasty in that regard uh, it also has this kind of infiltration move if you like so after setup you can move it 50 centimeters up the board before starting the game so it's quite slow it only moves 25 centimeters per turn but it gives it a bit of a boost to start with so it's quite a nasty way of delivering some assault troops onto the board and that's kind of it's only got that one synapse connection to attach that gargoyle brood it's not really used for much else also hanging off the dominatrix i've got these x cranes and they're a fairly staple of the turned force they're they're effectively the land raider or the, or, or the assault tank of the of the turned force so yeah they only move 15 centimeters but they've got a sort of smaller version of the bio cannon um, from the dominatrix so it's a 75 centimeter two attack dice five to hit with a minus three modifier again so they're pretty nasty a good kind of sniper unit again with a lot of the turn stuff being close assault focused you kind of want to have a few of these in your force i think just to give you a little bit of ranged um, ability and that said i think there is probably a good mix but you tend to see a lot of the stuff is a bit like chaos it's quite slow moving and generally speaking your 50 centimeters your kind of limit in fact a lot of the weapon systems are just 25 centimeters they really are designed to get in close and be nasty the other unit i've got hanging off there is the biovore brood Biovores are a bit, they're an artillery unit effectively. They fire these spore mines, which effectively just sit on the battlefield and, and move around and come into contact with the other units and blow up in our, 
are quite nasty again with a minus three modifier, and they've got hundred centimeter range as well, so they're really a really decent long range addition. And both of those units are are the nest instinctive order, so you can just leave them at the back of the battlefield if you want, and they will just first fire at you know the nearest units to you. The last of the kind of synapse units I've got is a hive tyrant. It's a kind of standalone big nasty alien queen looking thing. Uh, with guns and it's got three kind of hive mind connections off of it so the hive tyrant itself it's got a couple of psychic powers it's got a couple of wounds it's a two plus save it's got a venom cannon which is a 50 centimeter two attack dice five plus to hit minus two modifier gun which is pretty nasty and it's got a plus 10 assault close assault factor so again it's a bit of a it's a bit of an all-rounder it's a really it's akin to like maybe a, a greater demon or something in its abilities i guess so yeah, it's quite a good one to have for, for 150 points. But it does create this kind of weak link in the chain, I guess, of the synapse. And this is what I was discussing earlier, saying that I probably could have done this better and had more stuff coming off of the dominatrix directly and not off of the hive tyrant. Because if that hive tyrant's destroyed, then effectively you lose the hive mine cards for these other prudes that you've got there. So it's definitely something you need to bear in mind if you're if you're trying to, you know, build a force. And fight against them, so it's, it's kind of... And fight against them, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's kind of key to kind of look for those things to, to be... Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure what the what the kind of gamemanship would be there, whether you'd actually, your opponent would see the, you know, get to see your army and it's laid out and all these connections, but I suppose if you're a sporting chap, I wouldn't mind it. But yeah, it would be certainly be a certainly interesting, but yeah, it definitely needs a little bit more thought than I put into this because I've already seen a chink in my own armour there. <laughs> But yeah, hanging off that, I've got Elector Brood. And these are the kind of stealth units, scout unit effectively, that have the kind of camouflage that prevents them being shot at from, you need to be within 25 centimetres of them to shoot at them. They're also fairly decent in their own right, plus four close assault factor with a fixed save. So they're they're not the strongest units in the game, but they are good for sticking in a forest near an objective and effectively goading the enemy and coming into contact with them. You don't need to do too much with them. You can just use them to hold on to stuff. And they're also independent, so you don't need to give them orders as such. You can give them orders as normal, effectively. The last two units I've got are both coming down in myocetic spores, which are effectively the drop pods for the turnids. And these are really valuable tools. You can actually buy them for about 50 points for almost any of the kind of uh, smaller units to come in different sizes depending on how many models you need to transport but they are really useful for getting stuff up the board because again one of the one of the failings of the turners is, is a slow move rate most stuff's kind of 10 15 centimeter move rate so having the ability to drop stuff in on top of your enemies it's always powerful and in turners cases especially powerful so in second edition they work similar to the way of the drop pods do where you've got counters and you hold them above the table and drop them and they fall onto the table and depending on where they land is where the units land Again, this was simplified in, in the likes of NetEpic where they just made it a bit more like the Deep Strike rules where it's a simple scatter rule. So depending on your preference, I guess you could, could house rule that. To be honest, I actually thought the NetEpic was a kind of complication. I actually thought it was better because what I used to have with them when I did those uh, scatter for the drop pods, I never actually had the spores at the, at the time. Okay. But when I used to use those drop pods, I would invariably find when you, because I think you had to hold them in your hand or something, wasn't it, or on top of a card? And on just, top of a template, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And you just flipped it upside down. But what happened all the time was that I'd usually have like at least two or three would land on top of each other, which would basically mean they would be destroyed. Yeah. And when the epic actually introduced, effectively, you're kind of you place the things and then you scatter each one of them. And sometimes you will get a collision, but it's pretty rare. But yeah, that I always found that they kind of lasted better when they're epic. But I would say that the second edition system is quick and simple, but you're going to have more losses with it. Was my was my personal feeling. Yeah. The kind of rules for a net epic 
it's definitely slower because you're basically rolling scatter for every single unit that drops down. Um, so it's a bit of a kind of admin job. Yes, oh, definitely, definitely. But does it work better overall than the previous system? Yes, I think it does in terms of the longevity of your... You know, because it was so bad for me personally, I found that that I didn't really bother using the drop pods when actually drop pods should be great and they are great usually. Yeah, um, definitely. They have been since I've been using the Epic. Again, you're not guaranteed you won't collide, but I definitely found that uh, an improvement, even though I would say it was more complicated and it definitely took a lot longer to deploy the pods because you were doing a scatter for each, each and every single one. If we ever do that in a battle report, I think that'll be a wee bit that'll maybe speed the food, footage up or something if we're ever doing a, a kind of mass uh, drop pod landing and same way. If you had a lot of these spores, I think I would yeah well, so it's one of the interesting ones actually because of the turn is it's, you can almost do it as a tactic where you want to drop them on top of stuff because it invariably will probably kill what's underneath it but the unit inside if it's, especially if it's got regenerating wounds might just stand back up so it's uh, it's quite a, quite an interesting one and there's also probably less to do a lot of the time you're only dropping three units at a time so it's a wee bit less admin hopefully than doing a whole company of marines but so yeah, like, like I say, I tried to stick stuff in, I said, expores as much as possible. It is a little bit of a cost overhead, but getting stuff up the board really handy. Um, so I've opted to stick a unit of gene stealers in there. I love gene stealers. They were, again, one of the first units I saw in the 40k universe. And obviously heavily influenced by, or maybe plagiarized from, <laughs> from the likes of Alien and, and Geiger or whatever. So it's, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're cool. I've got to have them in there. They're also an independent unit. So when units come out of the Mycetic Spores, they come out on their um, instinctive orders. So with the Gene Stealers, I don't think you can have them charging in. I could be wrong, but I think they come out a little bit in the same way that other units would come out in the way that the Marine Drop Pods work, where they come out in advance orders effectively. So it's not something you maybe want to drop on top of the enemy. You maybe want to drop them behind enemy lines somewhere, then get them into position and then launch your attack. The Carnifex, on the other hand, or the Screamer Killers, depending on what your age range is, they are absolutely ones you want to drop on top of the enemy. They come out on charge orders, and they have a plus seven close assault factor, and they're just generally horrible units to get into close combat with. They'll tear through most things. So, yeah, that's what my other drop pod unit, or my other spore unit is, the Carnifexes. And again, they're one of these units which I've always, always loved. They often come up as the one of the most kind of ugly and worst designed models that GW have ever released, but I love them. I think they're great. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've got their consistency in my uh, force for sure. And also they are just good in the game as well. Yeah, I like the model as well. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's a funny one. I always I always see that. I don't know if it's uh, if it's just YouTubers looking for clickbait, but you always see it as a, as a thumbnail of like the ugliest Warhammer units. That and the Fantasy Nagash unit always comes up. But like, I don't know. Yeah, Carnifex is they're cool for me. So it's fine. I like it. <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. So that's your 2000 then? That's a 2000, yep. 3000 is a bit more interesting. So 3000, I've still got, obviously, still got that Dominatrix in the centre of it. I've still got the Haridin and the Gargoyles because, you know, great close assault troops pushing them out of the board. I've still got that same Hive Tyrant with the three birds hanging off it, the Lictors, and then the Gene Stealers and the Carnifexes in their Spore Pods. I've also taken a Hyrodule this time, which is the smaller of the Bio Titans. So Again, the, the turns have got a couple of titans kind of along the lines of the Reaver and Warlord, effectively, I guess, in terms of their points and, I guess, their scale. I've actually only got the smaller one in my collection, but I think it's probably the one I'd take anyway. So they can be outfitted with a number of fairly kind of nasty weapons. I 
think that it takes three weapons on the on the hydro, um, or sorry, two weapons on the hydro, as well as it's got, so it's got two mount points for weapons, and you can take cluster spines, bio launchers, razor claws, bio cannons, ripper tentacles, spore pods, pyro acid spray, stinger salvo, and and frag uh, spines. So I can talk a little bit on what sort of weapons I'd probably take. Yeah, so again, I think with the bio titans as they stand. Well, you can either specialise them for like close combat or to be kind of long-range attack, I guess. Um, they've got a plus 10 close assault factor off the, off the bat anyway, and six wounds. So they, they don't have void shields in the same way that um, sort of Imperial Titans or, or Hollow Fields like the Elder Titans. They just they just have lots of wounds and regenerate, and they just have a kind of armour save rather than a, you know, on, on the same kind of sort of chart. So again, going for the smaller, the Hyrodeal Titan um, has a smaller template and therefore it's probably more likely to scatter so that's along the lines of my thinking for taking a smaller one for the points value it's a bit less of all your, all your eggs in one basket so yeah there's a few nasty weapons there's a pyroatid spray which i think you've came across before from memory and it's a it's a kind of template weapon i think it's maybe 25 centimeters similar to the flamer template but it looks like a maybe an ice cream cone <laughs> yeah. uh, it's got a couple of couple of extra extra balls on the end of it and it's just a nasty weapon that hits on a three plus and does a minus two damage and i think it can also uh, take down buildings as well so yeah it's a, it's a pretty horrible close-in weapon that one i would probably also just take a bio cannon as boring as it is it's the kind of consistent three attack dice five plus to hit minus three kind of weapon but the addition that the titan class weapon or the bio cannon has is, is it's got plus one penetration on it so if you're attacking titans you, you add one to the damage roll which is quite nasty so i think i'd probably have that as a kind of titan killer weapon the other weapons are, i'll be honest i've not played about with them much so i'm not sure whether i'd take them or not but there's the usual kind of barrage weapon close in kind of close assault factor um, adding weapon so it's um it's really player's choice what you want to take there but they're all pretty decent depending on how you're building it up but yeah, I would probably take the Pyroacid Spray for close-in action and the, the Bio Cannon for some long-range stuff. Also hanging off the Dominatrix, I've got the Zone Thropes. So they're uh, the kind of dedicated psychic unit of the Turnids. Um, they're kind of like a big brain on legs. Not very pretty to look at, but like most stuff in the Turnid Force. But they've got a, a Warp Blast, which is effectively just another um, 50 centimeter, you know, five or six to hit, minus six target save modifier. I guess the nasty thing about it is that it fires off in the psychic phase, which happens before the combat phase. So it's a good way of effectively getting a shot off before any of the even first fires have had a chance to do anything so i guess that's the kind of the main reason for taking them um they've also got a five plus fixed save which is quite good i mean a lot of the stuff in the turned army isn't a fixed save but you know they don't they don't have regeneration as such but they are probably still quite hard to kill there's only three of them in a brood though so yeah i, I can see why people don't necessarily like them that much but yeah i'm going to take them <laughs> the the last synapse unit i've got are turned warriors now I, I didn't really discuss them that much previously but they are five turned unit effectively five stand unit i think they're the smallest or the one of the cheapest synapse units that you can take. In fact, no, they're not. 200 points. So they have three synapse um, or three hive mind connection points coming off them, so they're good for building out the force. They have a kind of special rule where any other unit within 10 centimeters of them, well, one one unit within 10 centimeters of them can share their order. So it maybe saves you a hive mind card that way if you wanted to give another one of the units um, the same orders as them. Other than that, yeah, they're a six plus uh, fixed save, five plus close assault factor, Death Spitters they've got, which is a 50 centimeter range, two attack dice, five plus minus one to hit. So they're not outstanding. They're they're kind of a decent kind of infantry unit or a decent all round unit. Um, but you're really using them to expand that hive mind ability and to, to get that kind of free order. I think that's probably why you're taking them most of the time. 
and hanging off those guys, I've got the Exocrines. I've got two Broods of them this time, um, just because I do find them to be one of the most kind of consistent units. That kind of biocannon is decent. And I've also got the, the Biovores hanging off those guys. So effectively, that whole unit, that whole um, Turned Warriors, two Exocrines, and the, the Biovores form a kind of unit by themselves of advancing up the board or with the Turned units being able to hold back and, and give them orders if they need to target a specific unit rather than using the instinctive orders. So that's my 3,000 point list. Nice flying through these. <laughs> yeah, there's probably quite a few similarities in most of them. Again, because of the just the sheer number of units that the turns have got, you know, we can't have too much variety, but I've managed to squeeze most of them in, hopefully. Yeah. 4,000 points. So this is where I'm going to start taking advantage of the multiple dominatrix thing and, and splitting my hive into two swarms. So I've got one swarm, a smaller swarm, which has three um, units of mycetic spores. Two of them are carrying Carnifex broods and one of them are carrying gene stealers. So that'd be my really kind of up the board assault force. And then the other unit is the Haridin with the gargoyles again, which again is just something I always take. The other dominatrix is a much more, um, much more fleshed out swarm. And this time I've got the Dominatrix, I've got the Hydro kind of smaller Titan, Bio Titan. I've got the two units of Exocrines and the Biovores and the Zonothropes the same as before. I've got the Hive Tyrant with the Lictor Brood as well, which again is just that good unit for denying objectives, I find, and being kind of annoying. I've got the Turnids again, but the Turnids this time are taking with them two broods of uh, Termagants. And the Termagants are the total archetypal swarm unit, effectively. They're, they're, you get 10 stands of them for 150 points. and they're kind of just like they look like little doggies, <laughs> little ugly dogs. Uh, they're not they're not fantastic in any way. They're only a plus one calf with a twenty five centimeter range in their weapon, one attack dice, five plus to hit, no save modifier. So they're almost that classic stat line that we've talked about many times. But I think in this case they kind of work because you get ten of them for one hundred fifty points, and they they're great just for screening. Effectively, you can screen your turned warriors or your other infantry class units behind them and use them as a meat shield and just effectively just throw them away to to get torn up uh, while your other units get close to overrun them. So yeah. Yeah, that's the I think that's the way to play them. But again, having ten of them in a group, you know, that, that close assault factor and those extra dice mount up pretty quickly and you can you can overwhelm units with them. So they're definitely one to add in where possible. And again, I've not used it tonight at all, but I'm gonna say they're they're iconic. They they were one of the one of the first. They were the hunter slayers before they were the termagants, so they're they've been in the lore for a while, so got to bring them along. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to get one tonight. I've noticed, I've noticed I've said nasty quite a lot, so that's going to be my new one. <laughs> nasty and iconic. That's, uh, that's the term. It's... <laughs> and that's, yeah, rattling through. That, that is my 4,000 points. So like I say, this is where the hive splits in two and it starts to become a bit more interesting, I guess. And then for my final 5,000 point swarms, I've got... Let me try and just play spot the difference here. Yeah, I've, so I've, I've I've got a lot of the same stuff, un, unsurprisingly. I've got those Turned Warriors with the two heart uh, Termagant Broods hanging off them. I've got the smaller class Titan. I've got the two units of Exocrines and the Zonothropes hanging off the Dominatrix in the first swarm. I've got that Hive Tyrant with its Lictors and Biovores this time. And then I've got the Haridin with the, the Gargoyles. So again, it's a fairly... I don't know. It's a it's a pretty decently compact swarm, utilizing all of the points coming off the dominatrix in that first one, which is makes it obviously pivotal to the force, but probably makes it a little bit tougher to break as well. On the other swarm, I've added in a few extra bits and bobs just to base things up a bit. So this time I've got the dominatrix um, in the center, of course. Coming off that, I've got two of these tyragons, turgons. So they're effectively a super heavy standalone single unit, single model unit. 
they're pretty horrible. They're 20 centimeter move, one plus saving throw, close assault factor of eight. But they've got this Bioshock template that kind of sits out in front of them, kind of, I guess, a bit like the Wave Serpents for the Eldar. So it, they can effectively roll over anything they come in contact with and potentially destroy it or blow away its turn. And they've got a kind of um, D6-based save modifier as well, so it depends on what you roll there, how far you can fire it, and what the modifier is. So it's a wee bit maybe inconsistent. It's, a bit like, it's almost like an orc weapon in that regard where you're kind of rolling to see how far you can fire and how far it does the damage. But just having that one plus save makes it a bit nasty again. <laughs> I need to think, I need to look up a thesaurus here, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's kind of threatening, I guess. <laughs> That's what I'd say. So I've got two of those. Uh, they're only 100 points each and they've got that hunt order so they will just kind of move forward and attack at will. So um, yeah, I've brought a couple of those and they look quite cool as well. They're kind of like slugs with the uh, mandibles. So yeah, bring them along. Uh, I've got my Hive Tyrant again with uh, the Mycetic Spores as before with the two Carnifex birds and the Gene Stealers. Again, I would bring more Carnifexes if I had the models for them. Yeah, I think just have, I'd have a whole swarm of those, I think. And then at the bottom of the, the second swarm, I've got another Hive Tyrant. So Hive Tyrants again, I've talked about them before they're pretty good all round they've got some psychic powers and decently tough so they do tend to form the, the building blocks of my synapse units and hanging off of those guys i've got three new undiscussed units thus far i've got the the malefactors which are they're the transport tank of the of the turn there's not many things that can sit inside a slug but apparently they've got some sort of cavity which we won't hopefully go into too much detail on but they, they can carry two stands with them and move forward with a two centimeter uh, sorry a 20 centimeter move two plus save Plus five close assault factor. They really are a close assault vehicle. So the, the idea is you use them to get your troops up the field and then use them to then support those troops in, in close combat. And I'm taking them and I'm also taking a brood of Hormigaunts. So the Hormigaunts are, again, they're a little bit of a, maybe not a throwaway unit. They're, they're a fairly cheap unit. Um, you only get five stands of them. They're, they're effectively the close assault version of the of the Termagant. So it's got these claws. Again, it's just a, just a two plus close assault factor. No weapons, but their thing is that they move triple on, on charge. So they move 30 centimeters on a charge. So again, the idea being that they're inside the malefactors with giving them a little bit of protection. They get up the board and then they dive out and, uh, and charge into combat. So that's my reasoning for bringing those. And supporting those, I've brought a brood of horror specs. So horror specs are another similar to the Malefactor, but without the transport capacity, they're another close assault uh, unit. So 15 centimeter move, two plus save, plus seven close assault factor, and they've got acid jets and uh, frag spines, which are again, 25 centimeter weapons with one of them's got two attack dice, five plus to hit minus two DSM, and the other one's just uh, a barrage weapon. So using them in conjunction with the horror specs and the, the Hormigaunts to really deliver this kind of close assault force. That's the reasoning behind that. And that's my army. That's my... 5,000 points, um, and it more or less, um, well, it's, it's, I think it's everything I own for the Tyranids, coincidentally, <laughs> uh, for, for second edition. There's a few things that were added in um, in Net Epic that I've got as well, that I've not obviously included here, but there's not, not too much. But yeah, that's almost everything that you can get for the Tyranids in second edition. The only units that I've omitted from talking about tonight at all is the, the bigger Titan, which is the, the Hydrophant. And again, it's yeah, I don't have it, so I'm not gonna. <laughs> I can't field it, but I think I'd probably still take the, the higher duel. I think there's definitely a case for taking it um, in, in bigger points games for sure. I think at five thousand points, I probably would take one um, if I had one. If I don't have it. The only other unit I don't have is the Dactylus, which is a kind of it's another artillery unit effectively. It's a seventy-five centimeter range, three barrage point, minus two TSM unit. So you'd use that essentially like a basilisk or or something like that, a wee bit closer in, I guess. 
but yeah, I'd definitely include some of those if I had them, because I think having more artillery units in the Eternid Force is definitely helpful given the close assault focus of them. So yeah, it gives them a bit more range and a bit more uh, versatility. Um, but yeah, I think that's everything covered that was ever released for. And it's, like I say, it's a totally concise force. There was never anything released after that. So it's a it's a good one. It's an interesting one. Certainly one that I've not played with enough. We played one game of second or one game in the epic using them. Um, and I don't know if I played them totally right. Found them very tough. Um, and I know you've had some experience with them. Was that second edition or was that in the epic you played against them? I think it was uh, epic. I I think it was. But yeah, they were they were brutal, and I didn't mm-hmm. probably didn't do my research well enough to be honest. I think it's more I was kind of just thinking, well, this is the same as. Do you know what I mean? Like most of the armies, it's pretty much you don't have to worry about the kind of regeneration stuff so much. And I wasn't aware of the like the whole structure. I just hadn't done my homework. I kind of I think actually one or two of the times I didn't know I was even playing against them, and it was just bring whatever you like, and and I get caught out that way. Whereas, like, do you know what I mean? If you're playing against Marines or Eldar, you, you kind of know these things are for close combat. These are ranged tanks that sit back or Titans that sit back, and. You can I get a very good idea when you when you see somebody setting up, even if there's a couple of things that are but I think partly because of the the way the miniatures are as well of Alien. <laughs> exactly. That it's kinda of harder to kinda of understand what it is they do if you're not glued up. Yeah. It's something I find it's it, it's almost a it's something you can almost chart through the chronology of them, but when you look at the original units released prior to this in 40k, when we're talking about earlier, the gene stealers, the screamer killers, the turned warriors, you look at them and you can kind of see what they are. They're quite distinctive. They all had their own identity. I think with the release of Epic, when you look at the or release of the units in Epic, a lot of them were obviously built specifically for this. They've never really been seen of again since. I think some of them have made it into 40k, but a lot of the things like the exocrines and the, the malefactors and horror specs and these tank units or these kind of vehicle units effectively, they're obviously specifically built to fulfill a purpose in the game. And I think the lore was probably built around them afterwards. But I think, I just don't know if they've got that same sort of personality that you see from some of the other units. Um, they're a wee bit samey. They've just got maybe different arms or different backs on them or different claws. You know, it doesn't really bother me too much because I think they're still they're still quite cool models. I don't have that same nostalgia for them that I, I do for most of the other things. But you can kind of tell by looking at them what they are. I think nowadays, if I was a 40k player, which I'm not, but if you look at the 40k turnids, they're almost completely modular. Everything looks the same to the point where if you if you see a really nicely painted turnid army, it just looks like a big blob. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it te- to me, they've kind of lost what little character they maybe had in the very early days of their units. And now they've become so kind of homogenous, it's really hard to tell. So I would hate to be playing them now and trying to work out what everything does. But yeah, I think even at especially at epic scale, it's probably probably difficult to tell right off the bat what things do. And um, again, maybe just because we didn't grow up with them effectively, but it's maybe difficult to look at them and try and work it out without just looking at the stats and stuff for them so yeah i can totally see how you get caught off guard guard by them yeah as i say it was when it was they were fielded when i didn't know i was going to be fielded that's my fault as a player yeah it's something that's kind of consistent throughout wargaming is you always need to know your enemy's force as much as you do yours but i guess at the time if these were like a new release or whatever then it might not be that everyone's seen them or read up on them and it's uh, in the infancy of the internet so finding out these things Probably would have been a nasty surprise for a lot of people in 1985 to come up against this and not be able to kill anything, which I imagine was probably quite annoying. <laughs> Demoralizing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've probably played them a wee bit wrong previously and maybe made them more powerful because I, I don't ever remember doing the Hive mind cards properly. I think 
I was just using them like the chaos cards, almost like we were just drew them up and then used them. I didn't appreciate the the order, the reliance on them for giving orders, that kind of thing. So I think I was just giving everything orders, um, which obviously makes them super powerful. I think tactics for playing against them, we could probably talk about. I think obviously trying to break up that hive mind structure to reduce those number of cards to make them effectively do what they're done, doing by instinct would make them a little bit more easy to manage. And if you've got perfect information and you know what your enemy's going to do when you're placing your orders, then it probably gives you a massive advantage. It might not help <laughs> if they're still going to shoot at you with a you know a minus three save modifier and three dice or whatever, or a plus ten close assault factor. But at least you can make you know best efforts to get out of the way of it or something. I think that's how I would play against them, and I think that's how I would play them. But I'm not sure. It'd be really interesting to hear from anybody who has used them, kind of in their infancy, to find out how they played them and, and or how they played against them, because it's it's a really interesting one for me. Like, yeah, let's see. I've got I've got them through. I've picked up a collection. It's a bit of a mishmash collection over the years of stuff. Get this kind of force, and I think it's fairly well balanced. Maybe um, I'm not sure. I've, I've kind of. I've not really paid too much attention to them. It's, it's a funny one just because I don't have that burning nostalgia for them. I've not really felt the need to go out and, and get absolutely everything for them, although I've kind of done that by accident almost. But, <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're quite an interesting one. It's definitely one, I mean, I, I say this every week or every every time we talk about it, but it's definitely one I do want to play again at some point. Yeah. Really give them a go because I do find them kind of interesting and completely different to anything we, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're in any way, shape or form bored with Epic or, um, you know, the, the armies you've got, then I definitely think given turns ago could, could be an interesting one. Yeah. So I think I'll never be bored of Epic, but I'm hoping in the coming months we're going to be able to get some games in. Mm-hmm. So that's the Tyranids then. Uh, next episode's will be just questions from the community. So wherever you find this podcast, just drop us a comment and tell us if there's a question you have about second edition Epic or Net Epic. One of the things I will definitely be talking about, and is because I get asked this a lot, is why is it I keep talking about Net Epic over second edition? What is it that's so much better or interesting about Net Epic? So I will go through some of those kind of major differences. But yeah, if you have questions, please drop them wherever you see this. And um, thanks to Craig for sharing his insights in the Tyranids. Really enjoyed listening to that. Sorry, I wasn't able to contribute much. No, that's fine. That's fine. You got a day, you got a week off with the squad, so uh, yeah, makes sense. It's only fair. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for all that, Craig. I really enjoyed it. And until that next episode, keep on living the life of die.